I'm absolutely convinced that all men, including you and I, have hidden potential that's not been tapped into. The team and I have designed a quiz for you to work out what that could be, and there's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end, but for now, enjoy the episode. I just found myself in tears, really. Just felt really desperate, like there was no way out, or that the way out meant me doing something drastic. Welcome to Stories of Men, Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. Today we're diving into the very real problem of burnout at work and how one man sought help to get out of it. Mike has a demanding job, but he usually loved it. He's an energetic guy, a proud husband and father, but the pressures of work got on top of him until eventually he couldn't function. It was a bright summer day in June this year when it all got too much. I was just losing my confidence to be able to do what was being asked of me. We were having discussions about it. I couldn't focus at all. Like, all I could think was, I can't do this. This is not... I haven't got the ability to do it. I haven't got the headspace to do it. I was so low on energy, so low on confidence. I just... And I think that was a hurdle just seemed massive to me. Went for a drink after work with my boss and a couple of colleagues I worked with really closely. I was really quiet, most unlike me. Maybe I had one pint and then made my excuses and left. I was meeting a client for dinner. Ended up having quite a few drinks, I think had a few beers and got tucked into the wine. Might have had a maybe a glass of whiskey to finish off. Went home, got the train home, about a 45 minute journey. I was in tears on the train on the way home, just really thinking things are not good. Things are not good. Got home, my wife was asleep after midnight. I think she woke up probably because I was making noise when I came into the bedroom. She said, everything all right? Did you have a nice evening? She said, no, not really. She said, do you want to talk about it? No, not really. Let's just talk tomorrow. Put my head on the pillow and I was I was pretty much out for the count. I slept through and I was actually woken up by my alarm, which never normally happens. Normally I always beat my alarm. I felt panicky in the morning because I knew the situation was was coming to a head. I felt physically really tight, really tense. I felt very, had a heavy feeling in my stomach. This was like a real knot in my stomach. And along with those physical pains, I just felt a long way from 100%, which is how I normally feel when I wake up in the morning. Things felt really out of control. Things at home, I felt like I was really useless at home. I wasn't being a good husband and father. It was around 6.30, see being the middle of summer, pretty much the longest day of the year. Light was coming into the bedroom. I tried to block out as much light as possible. My wife was asleep, gently nudged her and said, are you awake? Things aren't great. She could tell I was crying. We had quite a long chat there and then about how I felt. It's like the cloud's not lifting. It's not seeming brighter. She was 
so supportive as she as she always is. She wasn't trying to fix how I felt. She just showed me a lot of empathy, validated how I was feeling. And the only practical thing she said is, you are not going to work today and you are not going to work next week. And we are phoning the GP surgery to get you signed off work. At that point in time, because I can relate to this, at the point in time where you come home from this client meal you've had and you're feeling really low, you've had a lot of alcohol and your wife says, is everything okay? Do you want to talk about it? And you said, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. A lot of men do that and I've definitely done that with with my family and my ex-girlfriend when they're saying, are you okay? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. But they know that you're not. Why... Did you not want to talk that evening? We'll get back to the episode in a second. Before that, I just want to say, if you think this episode would be useful to a friend, send it along. You never know, it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today. And now back to the show. I think for me, I've always been really happy to talk about how I feel. Maybe I'm an oversharer. I knew we were going to have a conversation the next day. I also just think that it's about picking the right time to have important conversations. And I think there's probably a difference between not wanting to talk at a particular point and not wanting to talk full stop. I don't know, Alex, what are your experiences of that? Yeah, I was just about to say that. I feel I have, in the past, I've reacted when someone, when a family member, my mum, dad, brothers or sisters, whatever, have said... Is there anything wrong? And say, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's almost like a, a reaction. I've not responded to that. It's just, it's almost like subconsciously I'm anticipating that question and I just come back with, no, I'm fine. It's just a defense mechanism from my experience anyway. But actually I'm learning to take a more considered approach like you did and actually respond instead of just react because you had the emotional intelligence to go, okay, this is not the right time. I'm not saying that I don't want to speak about it at all. I plan to speak about this with you tomorrow. And I think that's that's an intelligent way of looking upon it, no? Maybe I say a lot of it is learned. And we learn through, you know, several years of supporting our daughter. And like we always wanted to understand how she felt. And the more we asked her at the start, the harder it was for her to actually communicate. We had to learn for to let her come to us. And sometimes actually she didn't come to us. She went and spoke to her therapist or a friend. And that sometimes is quite difficult. I think my wife found that really difficult with both our daughter and with me. It's like she wants to help. That's what mums do. That's what wives do. They want to help. And, you know, for a long time, my daughter didn't seem to want her help. And if I ever say, no, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I think understand that she can often feel like that's rejection for her so i'm trying to be mindful of her feelings because she was so supportive or and has been is so supportive with me but i just know that you get the best conversations when and probably the best outcomes when actually the person who has something to say says it in their time and space and and also, I think as well, because I was a big drinker for a long time and then, you know, really reined back on the drinking. I also know the clarity of thought you get when you're not drunk or semi-drunk. 
I just didn't feel I'd have a quality conversation at that point. I think, you know, you're, you're sure, Alex, you'll know how it is that it's not you say things you want to, but actually you, you want you want to be in full possession of the facts and you want to be able to come at this in a, a difficult situation in as calm a frame of mind as possible. It's interesting you talked about oversharing. Being an oversharer as a man, stereotypically, you're probably in a minority. I've always had that attitude, better out than in. I'm a big crier. You know, I cry at anything. Football, films, reading a book, the news. And I've always felt that was, I guess, a good thing, a good outlet. I never want to make people feel uncomfortable around me, but I have this interesting thing that think about, you know, when people say sorry when they're crying, when they're, you know, because I've talked about oh, the conversation we're going to have and it's going to make me feel emotional. I thought, what do I do if I start crying when I chat to Alex? And I thought, one thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to say sorry. I'm not going to apologise for my emotions because I feel what I feel. And um, I've been through some difficult things that make me feel emotional but I'm not going to say sorry for it and it's it's that I don't know whether it's a British thing of like oh crikey I don't want to don't wanna make you feel awkward because I'm crying and it's like oh that's you know men shouldn't do that that has been something I think has always been a positive for me has been you know ability to talk ability to show my emotions sometimes show it too much sometimes I say too much and definitely the as I have learned to, to have a better relationship with alcohol and drink less, actually realise the quality of my conversations with people is better. Definitely took me years of drinking too much to know what was the right amount. And for some people, I, you know, sadly, they don't ever find that equilibrium. How did you feel when you opened up to your wife Pretty much the majority of the times people say, oh, I feel like a huge weight has been lifted. I feel so relieved. It's just this sort of this lightening of the load sort of feeling. But how did you feel? Uh, oh, I, yeah, I, I did feel lighter. Interesting. And I've got some notes here. I've got a journal. And I'm looking at June the 19th here. So two days after. And I think I, I was about to start by luck or by coincidence, start working with a therapist in the week that I signed myself off work. And she asked me to, I guess, come to her with a bit of background of you know how I was feeling. And I've written here, I feel really emotional, but I can't seem to really let it all out. Um, and it was very much one of the things we talked about in therapy was this, having gone from feeling like I could, you know, cry on demand, if you like, to I spent six months really struggling to cry. And I think that contributed to this buildup of pressure, the feelings that the cloud wasn't lifting, because sometimes it can be as simple as, you know, if I'm in a bad mood or if I feel stressed or feel sad, you know, I do various things, you know, I might go and play golf and the cloud might lift or I might have a cry and the cloud might lift. It just wasn't happening. For, I was trying to press the reset button. Talked about it quite a lot. You know, just I was looking for a silver bullet and whether that was a little silver bullet of having a really good cry 
or a big silver bullet of finding something that would just turn the you know get the cloud to go away you know and it just it just wasn't happening and i think in you know in hindsight what i needed was that time off and what i needed was to go and work with a professional to go and work with a therapist which i did for two months i was curious to ask you because my first time of having a, a counsellor was last year, probably May, June 2021. And I started off with these feelings of anxiety and depression, but also this big forgiveness and holding grudges. You know, so she told me to write letters to these people that, you know, that you wouldn't never send. And also I wanted to have conversations with these people as well. So after two to three months, I felt a lot better. But I'm just curious, where were you at the beginning of the two months and where were you at the end? Like if you almost went from A, a to B, where were, like the problems at the beginning and then how you were feeling afterwards with, with this counsellor? The cloud lifted is the best way that I can describe it. And it actually started to lift quite quickly. In our first session, she said, I don't know whether you need to see me or a career coach because so many of my problems were were manifested themselves in in work in this you know my feelings of low self-worth inability to do things it was all very much tied up in in work and i felt like everybody thought oh, he's not really pulling his weight he's not delivering in the way that he used to um a lot of that was in my a lot of that was in my head people were reassuring me particularly my boss who was just amazing was reassuring more time that you are doing a really good job you know the bits of the business that you are responsible for are doing really well you know you are you know you you are setting yourself to higher bar you are imagining a lack of performance as I said earlier that's was seeping into my personal life as well um but i think even by the end of the first session we quickly got to the nub of my situation uh, and she helped me understand why i was i think i at the back of my mind i knew i'd burnt out through um lots of stuff that had gone on in my life for the you know uh, uh, over particularly over maybe the the last three years running up to this um so she said okay this is what's happened you just have your battery has run down so low to the point where your cognitive function is not working as it as it should do that sort of opened the door to bad thoughts feelings of low self-worth i felt like that was probably what had happened but i wasn't allowing myself to to self-diagnose that the fact that i was burnt out and um you know, just was sort of, you know, living on this sort of knife edge of actually if something started to go wrong, how was I, you know, I was completely reliant on this, you know, crazy exercise regime and sort of, you know, wellness. You know, I thought I was meditating. Uh, I thought I've really got it down. I'm, you know, nothing can stop me. I'm absolutely bulletproof. Uh, you know, I'm naturally overconfident, um, virgin on arrogant. And I just, you know, I was definitely high on my own supply. 
I, I wanted to go back, Mike, to what we were talking about before with crying, because I think it's a really relevant topic when we're thinking about masculinity and what it means to be a man. You mentioned something interesting. You were talking about whether you cry about football, you cry in movies. It's interesting because when I speak to friends or I speak to other men, they're almost happy to say they cried during this film or they cried during this song or they cried tears of joy when their their children were born. But actually, I feel like they say that because it's almost socially acceptable or it's it almost... For me to say oh, I cried watching Manchester United win the Champions League final in 1999, it's like, oh, well, that's what men do. Men cry during football tournaments because they're just, it's tears of joy. It's not tears of sorrow or negativity. It's, uh, you know, I'm so passionate about my team. Look how much of a big fan and supporter I am. Why do we do that? I mean, do you do that in particular? I mean, it seems like you're not fixated on this traditional form of, of masculinity of, or men cry in these situations, but they don't cry in these? <laughs> I think I probably don't have the ability to pick and choose where I cry and to who I cry. Um, it, it's the honest answer. That doesn't make me a better person. I think just, you know, maybe I've got overactive tear ducts or, or whatever. But in all seriousness, <laughs> instead of, if I want to have, you know, a cry, um, then I'll do it. I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable but I also feel like that's their problem not mine it's so interesting the football thing you know my tears for I'm an Everton fan normally a frustration but I know seeing them fat beat United at Wembley 1995 I was there with some of my very best friends we beat you recently though mate yes I know let's not talk about that let's get back to <laughs> 1995 Paul Ryder yeah, yeah. But, but yeah going back to the sort of and the, and the more comfortable I think we are, men with our emotions, talking, crying, the more the, the less people will become or feel awkward in those situations when people want to have want to open up to you or want to be able to cry in front of you. And then yeah. you know, I, I know it sounds like it's a sort of very utopian vision, but I think that that outlet is so key for male mental health. Women are much better at it. Men are getting better, but there's a lot of room for for improvement. And I think that, that, that there is a physiological reason why people cry. Uh, and it's it was, you know, put in place by whoever created us, however you believe that we're put on this earth. <laughs> Everything's there in your body for a reason. Appendix aside, I believe, somebody, you know, believe your appendix has no use but everything else is there for a reason it's either a warning sign or it's um an indicator of something and think when people my view is you know if you if, if your ability to cry is suppressed i don't think that is a good thing i actually believe the more you learn about yourself and who you are as a person you know, you're giving yourself a better chance of happiness. In a climate where burnout is prevalent, how do we spot the signs before it gets out of control? How do we mask the burnout with vices, whether it's drugs, alcohol, porn, or in this case, exercise? 
What I find with exercise, because I go to the gym every day, just like Mike does, is it can fix those short-term anxieties or depression. But after the adrenaline rush and the endorphins have worn off, you're still left with the problem that you had before. It's a short-term fix, which is obviously a better alternative to drugs or drink, etc. But it doesn't fix the long-term problem that you have. For many years when I was depressed and anxious, I would go to the gym every day, feel a million dollars after I got out of the gym, but it still just didn't do it for me. I was just masking the pain. After speaking to Mike, I've realized that many other people are in this position as well. But perhaps to fix this, we can lean into our feminine, and that might be meditation, that might be counseling, speaking to a therapist, or even just speaking to your partner or one of your family members or friends. If you're constantly feeling exhausted and stressed, ask yourself, are you burnt out? And if so, what are you doing to mask that pain? Recognize that in your body. Whatever it is for you, give yourself some me time. Before you go, let me tell you about our man test. The team and I created it with the belief that every man has hidden, untapped potential, and I want to help you discover what it could be. Let's face it, we've all got dreams and aspirations, but the stresses of life can get in the way. I know I've been there myself. As men, each one of us has skills and knowledge that sets us apart from the rest. It's about discovering what they are and making the most of them. The man test is simple. It takes less than three minutes and will help you discover your true strengths and talents by working out what kind of modern man you really are. Find the link in the show notes and take the man test today. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.